I I don't see how that game isn't replicated over and over and over again. Like I what what is the what is going to change? Like, so, I, I know that we're all Habs doubters, and we've done this before, and we did it after game one yeah, against Vegas, but this is just but this is no. just something else. But here's the difference. Here's the difference. <clears throat> yeah, because naturally, you're like, okay, game one, you get blown out 5-1. Uh-huh. Harkens back immediately to that game one against Vegas, and I'm thinking about the conversation we had with Colby Armstrong after that game one about how it was all playing out according to Hoyle, the... the Canadians had that good 10-minute burst. And really, the first period for them was great. They controlled the first period. 7-1 were the high-danger shot attempts in period one, game one of the Stanley Cup semifinals against the Vegas Golden Knights. But that's it. They, They showed glimpses of being the superior team in that game in which they lost 4-1. At no point yesterday did you think, man, that was a good five-minute stretch. That was a pretty good 10-minute stretch from the Montreal Canadiens. And if they could just hold on to that. No, their best stretches was Carey Price making 10 bellers on Steven Stamkos with all the time in the world, making an incredible glove save. And they had a couple of breakaways, yes. But they're also playing the potential two-time Vesna trophy winner in Andre Vasilevsky. It is... Yes, in score, similar to game one against the Vegas Golden Knights, in no way was the gameplay similar to that one at all. Yeah, I... Oof. I just think that's such a demoralizing loss for the Canadians. And we're going to talk to Kipper about it at 10 o'clock, so maybe we don't need to go too in-depth on this, but I, I just thought that... Tampa looked tougher. Tampa looked faster. Tampa's goalie looked calm. Tampa's power play was buzzing. Tampa played with force. Tampa's stars showed up right away. They didn't look as flustered with Phil Deneau. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it just, they they hit every single box that your worst-case scenario would hit. And so, yeah, like, I... um. I don't think that you can just, like... You, you have to have a split, right? Don't you think? That if you're Montreal... I know we do the whole... The series doesn't start until you go home yeah, yeah. thing. But it feels like if you fall down 2-0 to Tampa, you're done. I just... Yeah, it, it just... It was a lot, man. Like, it was a lot. It was, it was Tampa played with great force. And they really looked like the class of the NHL. And we've talked about this over and over and over again. About the idea of you kind of want that to be the case. Because uh-huh. then there's hope for a league that... Frankly, if you can stack the deck to the degree that Tampa did and you can't look like the best team, you can't look better than Montreal for a series, then there's going to be maybe some problems with your league. Maybe that people are going to be discussing um, the nature of the sport in some ways. But, yeah, I just... I, I don't have really any positives for Montreal coming out of that game. Like, I think that Gallagher's face was representative of, like, what happened to them, which is they got caved in. What if I told you a hockey team could limit another hockey team to 19 shots on goal and then also have some of the best offensive weapons in the history of the sport and the best playoff scorer mm-hmm. also going through the greatest two-year postseason stretch in the history of the sport? In Nikita Kucherov. Yeah, it, it's 
Sure. Like, I'll, I'll take my lumps if things go sideways, and this is not the first time I've counted the Montreal Canadiens out, but it's hard to look at that full 60-minute sample and not say, there's no indicator here that the Montreal Canadiens can hang. Yo, uh, so our producer, Mike Boffo, is letting us know that the Wayne Simmons deal is done. So yesterday afternoon, we got a... Uh, we got Elliot Freeman saying, quote, nothing finalized, but word in Toronto is working on an extension with Wayne Simmons sounds positive, end quote. Uh, he's gotten a two-year deal at 900 k per. I got to say that's pretty surprising to me. Um, I'm a big Wayne Simmons fan. I see a reality where he obviously can live up to that contract. I don't really understand why it's not the veteran minimum, uh, especially if it's a two-year deal. Um, guy obviously wants to be in Toronto and I know we're talking about 250k or whatever and you know it's really not that big of a deal or 150k but I don't know why you're giving term um, why you wouldn't just go year to year on a deal like this Um, I don't know if it's because you're trying to signify that you actually are investing in Wayne Simmons or that you know he's part of the team but what I was actually going to say about Wayne Simmons in terms of bringing him back is that I'm cool with it, but it really does have to be with the understanding that he can be benched and that this isn't the scenario that happened this year where if you're not going well, you automatically stay in the lineup. And that's what happened with Thornton, and I think that's what happened with Simmons. And if you're on a two-year deal, I don't think you're coming out if you're struggling come postseason time. The injury totally derailed his season. He was playing great before that. I don't know how much of that you know, affected him down the stretch, but... He was someone who at times flashed a lot. Like I'd said his game three, he was one of the best players for the Leafs. But overall, to me, I see a guy who really struggles with puck possession, is a little bit slow for the game now. And yeah, I don't know. I like I I don't think you should be giving two years to. One year is fine. Yeah. A second year seems like I don't know what's going on. Like so now you've put two of your bottom six back from a year ago in mm-hmm. Spezza and Simmons. And, you know, you got to think Mikheyev's coming back. Yeah. So that's three guys. Um, sure. That's half of your bottom six already. So uh, was the bottom six the number one reason why the Toronto Maple Leafs lost in round Ooh. one in seven games to the Montreal Canadiens? I would say no. I would say that, you know, your top line with some of the most explosive offensive players in the league, and the guy who scored the most goals in the league, only scoring once, would be number one, why you didn't get through. But here are the names and the numbers of the people in the bottom six who scored goals in that seven-game series outside of Jason Spezza. Joe Thornton had one goal. Yep. That's it. You got nothing mm-hmm. outside of rejuvenated Jason Spezza in that bottom six. One freaking goal. It was on the power play, and Joe Thornton was abysmal for all mm-hmm. seven games. He's the only guy that scored. Boy, you bet. You better hope that Wayne Simmons is better than he showed because he had, by my accounting, one game where you could really notice him. Yeah and he didn't impact the score sheet. But as much as I kind of believe that when Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner talk about bad luck and, hey, if we just play that series out 100 times, I bet you we score more goals, that the front office wasn't entirely seeing it that way. And I know there's going to have to be changes just because of the nature of some of these contracts. And maybe there's a big one in Morgan Riley, but it really, (laughs) early days here, 
they're really getting the band back together and gonna have another go of it with this this team. So, um, man, I'm just such a Wayne Simmons fan, and I have been like his entire career. And I was so excited when he first signed in Toronto that this one's kind of like harder to do because, yeah, I like my optimism is already like this is gonna be great. He's gonna be awesome, and like he's gonna turn like you know. It's still, I'm already doing things like selling myself on some of the same things I sold myself on in the first place, which is like. Having the toughest guy in the room, having him as a leader, like that for 900k, whatever. And he's what I'm more, guy. yeah. What I'm, what I'm more, um, like, I guess disappointed with is that if Spets is coming back and Simmons is coming back, that means you're already prioritizing like guys around the fringes of your roster, which leads me to indicate like if you're playing detective, that it's more likely than not that yes, the four guys are all returning and that you have no other choice but to build your roster this way. And so, frankly, like, you can't really be mad about the Wayne Simmons thing because that actually is the best that you can do. Yep. <laughs> Which uh, might not be great. Uh, stay healthy, Wayne. Rejuvenate yourself. Um, and hopefully hoist a cup over your head in the next I'm just, I'm, I'm already, I'm already just like gaslighting myself into being like, it's good. It's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, two years is fine, man. Wayne Simmons is awesome. Uh, Wayne trade. Yeah. Wayne trade. I'm going to be so happy every time he scores a goal. Like, yeah, net yeah. front presence. Let's go. Like oh, he's, his game is going to age better. He doesn't need to have the puck. It's not what he does. Like I've already got my like Wayne Simmons. We'll, we'll always have those Rolodex first, ready to roll. Yeah. 10 games it was. And that sweet uh, power play goal that he scored on the goal line. and Adam Simber and uh, an outfielder and Corey Dickerson. We'll get back into that after the top of the hour with Chris Rose. But right now, uh, our favorite, Nick Kiprios, Director of Hockey Operations at Line Movement, kind enough to join us on the line. Nick, how's it going? I'm good. How, how are we with the bat and the arm? We're, we're okay? You guys feel good about it? It's, it's living, it's breathing, it's, it's good. Yeah, can't be any worse than the bullpen's been over the last month or so, I would say, Nick. So anything that's not that is better. And this guy is good, at least against righties. So I think you should feel good about it. Well, good. Then we don't have to waste all those at-bats from Vladdy. Yeah. I forgot what a huge Blue Jays guy you are. I'm just surprised that you're back after they stabbed Anthopolis in the back. Like, I thought it would take you more time than this to come back and, like, really just be like, okay, I'm accepting it. I still love the Jays. I don't just love my Greek brother. Yeah, you know, they they stole my grandma's uh, casserola, so it's it's gone. The casserola is now – I got to – do a full-on investigation to, to track it down, but uh, yeah, I'll always, I'll always bleed uh, Toronto guys. You know that. So I, I want to tidy up a couple of reports out here before we jump into the Hab series. Let's start with the Nugent Hopkins contract because eight years, five million looks like it's being reported. Does I, I'm doing the Toronto thing? How does this relate to Zach Hyman? Because we've been hearing that he's going to be looking at something over five for quite some time now. Well, I think. That's, uh, that's he should be, and while you look at Nugent Hopkins, and no question he's a, a very good player, uh, but he is one of those guys that uh, is never going to be a, a superstar and probably won't end up in the Hall of Fame. So you're making the best of a, a very difficult situation, and I don't think Nugent Hopkins has the clout right now uh, that uh, Zach Hyman has, and. 
been a very good player for Edmonton, but is, in terms of being really as valuable to Edmonton as Zach Hyman has been to Toronto, I think Zach has him. So oh. I think I think Zach still is on pace to, to, to ask for as much as $6 million, but we still don't know the complete temperature. I can tell you guys that months ago, Nugent Hopkins thought he had a deal with Edmonton that paid him a hell of a lot more than just over $5 million. And they pulled it off the table. Now, say what you will, that they backed out of a deal that maybe Nugent Hopkins thought that they had, or it's just smart business for the Edmonton Oilers to understand that uh, the price of poker has gone down in this instance. And... Nugent Hopkins is making the best of a tough situation because he really wanted to stay in Edmonton, and that's why he took the deal. Well, that's great for Edmonton that they have guys that want to stay there and want to be a part of that. I, I think that the number is great for them with what they've got with their cap situation. I was surprised to learn that Nugent Hopkins is actually 28 years old when he got the eight-year deal. Like I, I looked at that, and I was like, well, he's much younger than Zach Hyman, so that makes sense. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, he's not. Uh, turns out he's 28. Uh, so the term is uh, like, yeah, that, that might not look like the best for a guy with his frame as he gets a little bit longer in the tooth. But, yeah, um, I, I think it's still it, it's still unlikely, though, Kipper, by your estimation, that a team, even the Leafs, would explore a deal with Hyman where they really try to get that, like, AAV down by stretching out the term considering his injury history and his age, correct? Yeah, don't overplay the eighth, the eighth year because, if anything, we've learned over the years is uh, depending on the structure of the deal, uh, how you can bury money at the end, there's buyouts. This was just a matter of keeping the AAV low and, and getting him back uh, on the number that they were comfortable with. So uh, where, where is Zach Hyman in all of this? Can they, can they exploit uh, the, the, the pressure points on Zach Hyman like they did Nugent Hopkins? We're going to find out how badly Zach Hyman still wants to be a Leaf because this will only work if he takes a significant haircut like Nugent Hopkins just did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, Nuge, 36 years old when this uh, deal is done. So Wayne Simmons gets a two-year contract. i got to admit that I saw a reunion between the two sides as a potential. I saw Wayne Simmons coming down from what he made last season as a potential. Two years, what do, you, what do you make of this deal? Well, again, the second year could be buried if, if they're not happy. Even even the first year, the 900000 uh, I didn't like Wayne Simmons' game at all uh, after he came back. Now, do you believe that it was all risk-related, that he never had a chance to come back because of it? He has more to give. I just didn't see a lot of value in Wayne Simmons and I think the whole idea of the last few hockey clubs he's been on with his short deals is yeah, I get to play the way I can play and then uh, get myself back into that four or five million dollar player it just it didn't happen it's never going to happen and for Wayne Simmons he wants to retire a leaf we do know and I, I lived it man you want to retire a leaf it could set you up you know, for the next 25 years. And I think that is basically his mindset. And the Leafs are okay with that. They, they, the Leafs are doubling down on guys like Jason Spezza and Wayne Simmons. And they still think that uh, 
uh, their game plan overall can still work next season. I I don't see Wayne Simmons on a two-year deal at nine hundred thousand, and you know I don't care if he's making one dollar more than J- Jason Spezza or one hundred fifty thousand dollars more. The optics of Wayne Simmons making more than J- Jason Spezza next year yeah. tells you how goofy the salary cap is. Yeah, it's it's weird. Uh, so you you're right. Like under a million bucks, you can just make the salary go away if you demote him to uh, the Marlies. But do you think that that's an understanding that they would have had going into this thing because it is a multi-year extension? I, I, even if it wasn't an understanding, where is Wayne Simmons going to go? How many can you hit all the teams in the league before you decide? You know, uh, it, it's just not what I think it is. You know, in my mind. I, I don't know if they had that conversation. I don't, I don't even think that they at least needed to have that conversation. Here's the deal. Take it or leave it. Yeah, um, that that is good, actually. I feel a little better after talking to you because, yeah, I, I just – I think it's possible that Wayne Simmons gives you value on a $900,000 contract even if – uh, yeah, he had one goal over his last 24, and I thought that he only had one game in the playoffs where it seemed like he had any impact on the outcome that was positive. Um, the thing that scared me was two things. One is that, yeah, the second year was more about, hey, you're not benching this guy come playoff time if he's not producing, because I, I really didn't like that about the Leafs, how they really were basically like, hey, Joe Thornton can't move. It doesn't matter. We signed him to play in the playoffs, and he's going to get his opportunity to play in the playoffs even if he doesn't warrant it, and same with Simmons that they just were never coming out. But two is that it's an indicator that if they're bringing back the Simmons and the Waynes, uh, or sorry, the Simmons and the Spezzas, that it's a sign that they're prioritizing these cheap deals because they know they're not going to be able to do much else because all core four guys are coming back. And so you can't really make that many changes around the fringes either. Like, are, are you surprised at all that the Leafs are doing this this quickly is this a sign that maybe there's going to be less rostered turnover than we originally anticipated as fans and media? Well, I buy into the, what's the rush? Like, Jason Spetta says he'd retire uh, if he got claimed by any other team. So where was the rush to sign him? Where's the rush to sign Wayne Simmons? They're still going to be there uh, later on. Uh, there'd be so many pressing needs that I would look after first before going back to those guys. And I, I, I'd, want, I'd rather just see where everything falls. And we do know that teams tend to get reengaged on what they have and what they value it after a Stanley Cup final is over. But like I said to you earlier, they're doubling down on these guys. And Jason Spezza, can, at least we can see he's still producing. On occasion, the toe drag, <laughs> the upstairs uh, under the bar, he still has those looks. I just see Wayne Simmons and, and one goal in his last, uh, what, 24 games. Yep. Uh, no significant forecheck, no physical presence. He's going to have to find a way to, to stand out uh, a lot more than just beating up a, uh, a Swede from Vancouver who's never fought in his life. Yeah. So game one goes to the Lightning, and it's pretty convincing how do you see this series turning around? Because that was about as decisive as it gets. Yeah, there's lots of talk about uh, the beating that they took early in the Leafs series or game one against Vegas and the adjustments that they had to make. I, 
for me, it's not about an adjustment in game two. It's just hitting the bar of compete that they had against the latter part of the Leafs series and Winnipeg and Vegas and playing that flawless system. And that bar was not even close last night. I, I thought they really got spanked in so many areas. And to, to be where they've been mentally, physically, emotionally, is so hard to carry for a month and a half or two months. But that's the only way that they're going to win the Stanley Cup if they can if they can get that bar back up. So after everything you've seen out of Montreal, you have to give them the benefit of the doubt going into game two. But clearly the, the, the depth of Tampa Bay, especially on that blue line and that potent power play, is something Montreal hasn't even come close to seeing in the first three rounds. That Chernak, what is he, the fourth or fifth highest paid D, was the best player on the ice last night. It wasn't even close. This guy was a wrecking machine, and and Montreal had no answer for him, let alone Kudrov, Point, and Hedman. Yeah, uh, they have a lot more offensive weapons, seemingly, than the Vegas Golden Knights had, and they were active in keeping their best offensive weapons and pointing Kucherov away from Phil Deneau. They only played two minutes against him, and I was looking at the box score of Game 7, Leafs, Habs. Austin Matthews played just shy of 10 minutes against Phil Deneau in that game. Uh, they, that's the most of any player. The Maple Leafs throughout that series refused to play the matchup game. It's making me view that series a little differently, that the best team in the National Hockey League, the defending Stanley Cup champions, with all the weapons that they have still, are trying to keep them away from Phil Deneau. Should, should the Leafs and should Sheldon Keefe have done a better job in matching up against a guy who's just shut ever, like absolutely everybody down in this postseason? Yeah, 100%. And I think, again, uh, you know, for Sheldon, that's two playoffs in a row where... Uh, it didn't look very good when it came to the key matchups. And Cooper uh, against Luke Richardson and ha- having the ability to go point and Anthony Sorelli as well is it- huge. They- they've got the depth. Even Vegas with Carlson and then Chandler Stevenson when he was healthy is is no match for what Tampa Bay is bringing the Montreal Canadiens right now. So, uh Cooper's been there, done that. Luke Richardson's done a tremendous job, but you you, you give the overwhelmingly advantage to Cooper uh, in this series, and it and it showed as early as uh, Game One. Suzuki minus three again. That's your best guy, two hundred foot guy on offense. Uh, Dano can shut down all he wants, but if Suzuki isn't providing a flare of offense, mm-hmm. again. Uh, Montreal's in tough. Uh, to say the least. Kipper, great stuff as always, buddy. Thanks for doing this. Take care, All man. right, guys. Enjoy. Hot enough or what? You guys okay? Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, you got AC, yeah, but I'm bye. in the top floor of my house. So hey. I'm sweating. Yeah. Little, little Buddha as well, Buddha. boys. Remember that. Yeah. Listen, not, not hard to cool down with one of those. Thanks, Kipper. All right. Have a good one, guys. Take care, buddy. Yeah. Nick Kiprios, Director of Hockey Operations at Line Movement. Yeah. Uh, the Tempe Lightning are very good. They have some of the best scores in the history of the postseason as far as numbers are putting up, and they're still intent on keeping them away from Phil Deneau. 
I like that's, that that you brought that up. I, I know that there's probably people listening to this today that are going, why aren't you talking more about that game? Why are you not doing this? Why are you not doing that? But that's a great point. And as much as you can say the Deneau thing evolved throughout the course of the playoffs... No, it was one of the much, things we talked about going yeah, into that series. Of course. It was one of those things, and I, I think that that's a great point by Kipper, too, to add to it, which is that it's not just one series for Sheldon Keith where he made mistakes with the top group. Like, the load-up of the Tavares-Matthews-Marner thing was him saying yet again, too, we're like, nothing is stopping this, nothing's changing this, there's no adjustment here, like, this is what I'm doing, and it was the same thing in this one, where it was like, it's a combination of stubbornness and it kind of feeds into the stuff that you heard from those guys after the series where they're like, oh, we were snake bit, we were just missing the net, we were so close, we were doing this, we were doing that. It's like, well, if the coach is kind of telling you that with the way that he's rolling you out there, it's hard to blame the players in a similar way when they aren't put in those positions to succeed. Again, like, should Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner combining for 22 million bucks be able to overcome Phil Deneau for more than a goal? Uh, yeah, I would say, yeah, 100%. But I should also say that, like, yeah, when things aren't working, you have to acknowledge that they're not, and you can't just in the playoffs, you can't in the playoffs just say, like, it's sample size, it's sample size, it's sample size, because it's like, yeah, that's what it is, is you have to be overly reactionary in the playoffs, and rolling the dice the way that they did bit them in the ass. So, yeah, no, it feels uh, like by you. It feels like yeah. hubris. If the team that has the least reason to believe they need to play the matchup game is playing the matchup game, mm-hmm. why can't you? When you mm-hmm. clearly you were missing your second line center, you were top well, heavy offensively a better against. Coach. Like I don't think that there's any discussion <laughs> about that. It's like he's obviously a much better coach. Like yeah, you when can say Sheldon goal... Keith is good, but he's a better coach than him, no doubt. It's just yeah, it's hard when one goal changes whether they win or lose that series. Hey, maybe just try and you have home ice advantage, and that's yeah. the big thing in a game seven. Maybe yeah. like don't play half the game against the guy who shut everybody down. All right. Well, yeah, that's another thing too. Is like if you're supposed to be so progressive, it's like why wouldn't you use in a game that's so tight every advantage to your disposal? Because there's hubris. Because we got Austin yeah. Matthews, and you see all the goals he scored. Doesn't matter who's playing against him. Even though, yeah, who's been better in the postseason the last two years than Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov and John Cooper still like, hey, uh, let's keep him away from that guy because we mm-hmm. can because it still gives us an advantage. Great. Now I'm mad. <laughs> Go to bed. Right. One of my favorite players ever. And you get to talk to him. Martin Saint-Louis, one of the faces of the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, Stanley Cup champion, Hall of Famer, kind enough to join us on the line right now. Marty, how's it going? I'm great, thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, no problem, man. It's great to have you on, especially right now. So let's just start with this, dude. You're a Laval native. I mean, Montreal might have the next best small guy, even smaller than you, and Cole Caulfield. Another U.S. college brother, too. I won the Hobie Baker. You... Should have maybe had one instead of Brennan Morrison. Are you a little torn? Is this is this a tough series for you? Are you, you going to play both sides of the fence? Do you stick it with Tampa? Like, what's what? Where are you at with this? Yeah, well, you know the big thing is, you know, the head coach of Montreal is a good friend of mine. Played two years with him in college, mm-hmm. and obviously, I 
played 14 in Tampa. I have a lot of friends still there, players I played with. Um, so I'm definitely torn a little bit, but I think it's going to be a long series and uh, just uh, happy to still get to watch some hockey. You can uh, tell the truth, though, just with us. Who are you rooting for? <laughs> I'm just rooting for some really good hockey. Ah, uh, cop out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your whole thing was that you were tough. It was like, oh, I've already St. Louis. Death and derails My this guy. Turns out really all that we needed to, like, is... knock you down was uh, Habs Lightning final. So I... I'm guessing then, like, everything is cool right now between you and Tampa Bay because, yeah, man, when, you know, you were dealt, things were rocky between you and the organization, and you go to the Rangers, you finish your career there, but you and Tampa Bay, like, everything's good? Everything's good. Yeah, and it was never, like, rocky. Like, it was, you know, I think we, I respected everybody in there, and they respected me, and we just all made decisions that was best for, for, for whoever was making the decision. And at the end of the day, I think everybody ended up in a good place. And the Lightning have obviously have, have, have built a, a team that's just every year has a has a chance. It seems like the last four or five years are always in the mix and they, they built for uh, to go deep. Yeah, uh, and you're right. I mean, it's only one game, so potentially is a long series, although it's hard to look at game one and the way Tampa's played uh, basically over the entirety of the last two seasons and think that uh, they're not the better team. But that being said, uh, we're in the salary cap era, and yes, things definitely broke right for them as far as the amount of talent they were able to add to this team and still somehow stay under the salary cap. Are we ever going to see a team as talented as this in this era, as this Tampa Bay Lightning team? Are we ever? I don't know. I think it's going to be hard, but is it possible? Yeah, there's some smart people out there that that, that really uh, able to judge talent. And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, it's not the the guys that make the most money that uh, have the most impact. And, and, you know, so I wouldn't be surprised if it happens again. But, you know, they've done a tremendous job at, at, at you know, balancing their stuff and, uh, the youth, the, the veteran guys they have, the style of play they want to play. Uh, it's, uh, I think it's a way that uh, many organizations are going to try to, to copy. Your 0304 Tampa Bay Lightning versus this Lightning team. Who's better? What rules? Either you you guys choose. You're the older ones, so it's like you guys get you get the veteran yeah. nod. They go they go. We'll give you the veteran yeah. nod. You did it first. You got us our first cup. You get you get first choice. Yeah, no, I mean it's uh, you know hockey is a little different then. Uh, I mean, and I watched uh, playoff hockey. You know, in that time, uh, there's not much room out there, and uh, there's a lot of uh, plays that would be penalties, uh, but. Uh, Overall, they probably would be faster than us. Uh, so we would have to, you know, we would need Javi to stand his head probably, and we would have to stay out of the box. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, they're two great teams, to be honest, but uh, they probably have the edge uh, in terms of uh, uh, team speed. Progress is good. Progress is good. I'll still take you guys because, you know, I, I cared more about your guys' uh, era of hockey. So. I, I, you just mentioned the officiating and that they would call you guys a lot more, but one of the stories of the playoffs so far has been that the refs have not called enough. Like, what do you think of the state of the officiating? And when you were in these big moments, when you were in cup finals, I like, 
isn't this the way that you wanted offici- it officiated, where the penalty had to be egregious? Like, you're a skill guy, and yet even still, I feel like if you saw the first call of the game last night where it's like this mild interference call, I'm like, I feel as though most of the players don't want the game to be decided that way. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think in the heat of the moment, uh, you know, emotions uh, make you say things or think things. But if you think about it at the end of the day, the referees won't dictate who wins uh, the series. You know, they might dictate who gets some momentum at key time, and sometimes you're on the wrong side of that. But uh, in general, um, you know, they, they try to, to not be the factor of the outcome of the series. Um you know, the um, it's a tough job. You know, for us, we have, we have replays, we have all all that. You know, they they they're trying to make calls. And the game is so fast right now, and, uh, so um, it's not easy for them. But um, I do like them to protect the players, let them play. Uh, you know, penalties should should be you know uh, grade A's. Uh, you know, scoring chances, but also uh, with some understanding that you got to protect the players. And sometimes when the scores get lopsided, uh, you know, that's when you, you have to step in and really protect it. That's when usually the shenanigans start. Yeah, and you saw that last night, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, how, again, they officiate the beginning of game two, um, feeling as though any of that stuff does carry over. So the Tampa is just this team with pretty much an incredible culture since you've been there. Like, early 2000s through now, it's just – almost always competitive, like short little stretch in the like late 2000s where not making playoffs. But for the most part, there's been a lot of the same thing, which is guys love to play there. They have a lot of success in a market where you wouldn't traditionally think of great fan bases. Like if you just look at Florida versus Tampa Bay, I've always wondered why Tampa's so much better at drawing. I, I guess winning is a part of it. But that, you know, you see guys like Braden Point, and he takes a three-year contract at under $7 million a year. And yeah, there's state tax stuff. And yes, there's always winning. But guys have now kind of consistently, routinely taken less to be there, whether it's role or whether it's money. And I, I wonder what you think it is about that market that does seem to make Tampa so special. A couple of things that's happened and we mentioned, you know, Tampa's been a very uh, great place to play a couple of years in, you know, late 2000s. Uh, that we kind of, you know, had a kind of a dark cloud over over our head a little bit, and and, uh, and all of a sudden, Mr. Vinick buys the team, and we don't know anything about Mr. Vinick as an owner then, but then he brings Stevie Y, and Stevie Y brought so much, you know, credibility, and he just uh, uh, he turned this thing around, and what Mr. Vinick has done uh, off off the ice uh, and in the community has been unbelievable. So, uh, you know, and the fact that uh, guys want to play there, like the Lightning Rink is downtown Tampa. You know, why do we draw better than, than, than the Tampa? You know? Sunrise where they play, it's not easy to get to. So the fans are, you know, uh, I don't know if you had a dinner game in Tampa, but, it's, you know, it's a big party, and you know, around the rink, and this is such a great setup. And for the players, you know, that, that, that feel of, of, you know, having great fans uh, is, is, is huge. Also, no state tax. Like, also that. <laughs> like, that has to play into it. Yes, I imagine it does. Talking to Martin St. Louis, Stanley Cup champion and a Hall of Famer. Um, 
Andre Vasilevsky might be headed for the Hall of Fame. He's 26 years old, coming off a of Vesna season. He's one of the Vesna finalists this season. He might win a Conn Smythe this year. Like, what are we looking at here, Marty? You, you played in an era with some of the all-time greats in net. Like, are we looking at the next one here? Uh, the next one, I mean, there's so many great goalies, you know. Um, he's, he's done – he's had a great career and he's still very young. Um, you know, uh, I think he's got – many great years in front of them. Uh, but it just seems like the, there's always next wave of guys that come in and, 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 and you know, have impact early and, and often and, and for a long time. And uh, Obviously, he's, he's, he's proven to be one of the best goalie in the world right now. And that's something, you know, being a top guy, like you have to earn it every year. You have to show it every year, you know. So whatever he's done, whatever he's doing now, whatever he's done, it's great, but then he's got to keep doing it. And that's the hardest thing about, you know, being one of the top guys in this league is, is the pressure of continuing doing it and, and getting pushed by other guys coming in that want to try to do it also. So there's some honesty in, in, in how you, you, you approach everything and, and, and to, to, stay, to stay on top of your game for a long time. It's not an easy thing to do, but he seems to have the package to be able to do so. Yeah, he's got a, he's got a cup. He's got a Vesna. Um, looks like he's going to be a favorite to get a second one. He might even win a Conn Smythe. It just it feels like his trophy case at age 26 is going to be completely loaded. Um, you were someone who was over a point a game with Tampa Bay in in the playoffs. Like you're just a like yeah stud playoff guy. Like rose to the occasion, found ways to overcome it, even as someone that other guys were keying out on. There's been this thing throughout the playoffs that has been outlined by some metric sites about Carey Price and the boogeyman effect, which is essentially throughout the regular season, guys and players have a much higher shooting percentage of getting the puck on net, whereas against Carey Price all playoffs long, you look at the top scores in the game, the Austin Matthews, the Mark Stones, whatever, go down the line, guys are missing the net a lot more. And yes, I'm sure part of that has to do with just the way that defenses are played, but also even when they're looking at clean shots, clean looks. I, I think about Jonathan Marcheseau in the series against uh, Vegas, where it was just like routinely wide open looks missing the net. Just the mental effect of facing goaltenders of that caliber and what it does to your rhythm, what it does to you trying to locate and, and score those goals in those big moments against all-time greats. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's, you know, there's goalies that are, you know, harder to play against. Guys swallow more pucks than others. But, uh, you know, to me, uh, it was never about worrying about which goalie I was playing. Uh, I was more worrying about generating scoring chances. And, uh, you know, if you if somebody struggles scoring goals, I'm not – I'm looking at how many chances, how is he getting open, you know, eventually it's going to come around. If you keep producing the chances, it's going to come around. But, you know, of course, there's the goal, some goalies are just harder to, to solve than others. But, you know, you just got to keep worrying about yourself and, and creating those chances. And then eventually you might get a bounce, and then all of a sudden you, you see things a little more clearly. But if you just focus on the goalie, you, you, you know, you're missing really the task here. It's just try to put yourself in, in good spots where, you know, you're, you're, the puck's on your stick at the right time in the right place, and, and eventually, eventually it comes around. So last one from me. 
And I don't know how much attention you paid to the first round with the Leafs this year or what the stories are around Mitch Marner. And it's not a direct comparable. In fact, you probably get annoyed sometimes when everyone's like, hey, this guy was small and you were small and maybe you guys are the same or what advice you would have. But you also played a ton when you were in the playoffs. Like, again, during your tenure with the Lightning, you were 23 a night. You had one postseason when you were 31 years old where you played an average of six games. You played almost 30 minutes a night, 28 minutes over the course of a series. That's the same thing that Marner has done. Um, but the discussion and the difference between he and you outside of, again, the goal scoring prowess, very, very different, is that you had that killer instinct. Like you were able to compartmentalize and be the same player that you were in the regular season as you were in the postseason. And again, I don't know if you've seen him play recently or if you watch him in this postseason, but what do you think it is like? If there's a way for you to talk about like what a killer instinct means to you, what it is to be able to stay the same and be consistent despite that many minutes in these hard games at that size in the playoffs, like mentally, was there something that you did? Is there something that you believe in? Like, is there anything that you believe equates to that that element, the killer instinct? Well, to me, I, I didn't play the same in regular season and playoffs. I played with definitely more, more. Um, I played with more jam. I played with more emotion. There was so much more on the line. Uh, you know, regular season, it's tough to, to it's tough to, to generate that emotion, uh, that jam. You know, game fifty-two on the schedule. You know, like it's like it's just not the same. So for me, is you have to elevate. Uh, you know. You know, the emotion level, and, and I played with way more, way more emotion. When I played with emotion, I was a much better player. So yeah, uh, you know, I think I think Marner is a terrific player, and you know, and he's still young, and he's going to figure that out. And uh, you know, I feel with Toronto, uh, they're up three one, and I think they they just slipped their got the you know the foot off the gas a little bit. I think you know I, I thought the series was over too. And next thing you know, they lose that game five, and now your your pressure's on you, and you chase the game a little bit. And it's you know, the, the routine shot uh, is not a routine shot anymore because there's so much more pressure on it because you're supposed to win. And now, and now you're you know, there's a lot more stress involved. And uh, but they have they have great uh, young talent, and I think those guys will figure it out. Um, you know, Marner is uh, is a terrific player. It's fun to watch. Is yeah, that something you year. learned, though? Or is that something that you had? Like, when you found that emotion, did you ha always have that? Like, college, all the way up and through big games, you had it? Or it was something that, over the course of your career, the more you played, the more you learned how to balance those emotions and those pressures and, and find the ideal version of yourself in those games? Listen, I remember my first two playoff games. We no. played Washington in all three. 0-2-3, played wash. We lost the first two, and I we didn't play well. Uh, I didn't play well. I was I was nervous. I was uh, you know I had been waiting for that for a long time, and I kind of panicked a bit in the first two games. And I took a puck in the face uh, late in that second game. I took like 19 stitches below my eye, and I had this big scar, black eye, and I felt like, all right, you know. This is the way it's supposed to be, and it's like I felt like a like a warrior out there, and um, I, it kind of woke me up. And I just uh, I played way more, um, uh, you know, I played with way more jam, and then we we ended up coming back and went four straight, and that was a big part of that. 
and uh, I don't. I think if I don't get hit in the face, I don't know if I snap out of it. You know, like, I don't know. There's just some some war wounds you got to get along the way that makes you push maybe a little more. So Brendan Gallagher should be going off the rest of this series after he has a bloody head yesterday. That's what Mitch Marner should be asking somebody to shoot a puck at his face. And he warm. plays better. Yeah, <laughs> he plays better when 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 he's like that, and he's, he knows it. I agree. Yep. Yep, uh, and you ended up with 12 points in those 11 uh, playoff games in 0203. Marty, uh, this was great. Thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thanks for taking time, man. Okay. Thanks. Martin, Good luck Luis. to both your teams. Stanley Cup champion, Hall of Famer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> probably not. Probably the team he's most uh, associated with and uh, has a Stanley Cup ring with is probably the team he's rooting for. Yeah, we've done a lot of those questions about can it be learned? Can mm-hmm. it be something that you take on as your career goes on? It was the number one question apparently in this Wayne Simmons media availability that was happening during our show mm-hmm. right now as he signs his two-year $1.8 million extension with the Toronto yeah. Maple Leafs about the killer instinct. Hey, killer instinct. He talked about it. Missing it. Missing the killer instinct this year. Next year, we'll have more killer instinct. You know what, okay. though, man? I, I couldn't help but listen to that interview and think about... Because, like, the obvious thing is that. That St. Louis could score. And that's not Marner's game. Right? So they're, there's not the same guy. But Marty St. Louis, I'm pretty sure, was 5'8". Uh, he might have been a generous 5'8". Yeah. He was 5'8". I think Marner is, like, pretty much uh, similar size... But St. Louis was this undrafted dude who had to work his ass off through every single rank to get to where he was. Whereas Mitch Marner was like, hey, this is the superstar of the glamour OHL team who gets drafted overall, high pick to the glamour NHL franchise, and has everything, including his favorite line made handed to him. Plays with Marner, or sorry, plays with Matthews, plays with Tavares, whatever he wants. Um, I can't remember who we had on when the series ended, I actually think it was Shane O'Brien, where he talked about how when that series ended, there wasn't a mark on Mitch Marner. And he did not have a scratch. He didn't have a bump. He didn't have a bruise. He could have gone and done a photo shoot. And sometimes that sounds like really unfair because it's a skill player, right? You go, hey, um, this is what you're supposed to do. You're a setup man. No one wants you to be trying to pretend you're something you're not, which is like some extremely physical player. But St. Louis just said it. He played with more jam. And what he's talking about is that, like, yeah, he wasn't as afraid, or, like, he was probably more fearless going into corners. He was unafraid to stand in front of the net, to go to the high danger areas, to change his game a little bit. And that adjustment, if you want to talk about, like, killer instinct, that's one of the things to me, is the ability to check a little bit of fear and do things that you normally wouldn't do and ask more of yourself. And so far, Marner's given less. And I'm sorry, but... Marty St. Louis does not have that different of a measurement from Mitch Marner. And yet he found ways to be a point-of-game player in the postseason and somebody that could impact the game even if he wasn't scoring. So I really think that's the question that that guy's going to have to ask himself this offseason if he's still a Maple Leaf is like, am I ready to play playoff hockey? Am I ready to be more than just the guy who sets up Austin Matthews and has value outside of whether or not this guy gets the puck in the net? Well, he'll have lots of time to think about it on his wakeboard this summer. So hopefully, uh, cool. yeah, a couple of those thoughts creep into his brain. All right, <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow. Bye-bye.